I invite you to hear these words from 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ, and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of their surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thank you, God. I echo, man, amen. Thank you to the choir, um, to Katie and to Julie for playing beautiful music today. Uh, friends, today's the last day in our series, uh, Bright Hope for Tomorrow. Somebody asked me this week, how much longer are we going to talk about money? And I quickly said, we're almost there. One more. There are three Wesley rules, and so we've got to hit the last one. Somewhere in my mind, John Wesley was saying, we'll talk about money as long as it takes. Um, but uh, before we get into that, I just got to say this. Wednesday around lunchtime, many of the women of this church uh, threw a baby shower for my wife and for Connor's wife and for those future baby boys that are headed this way uh, a little soon. Um, we're like five or six weeks away from the due date, so I asked the doctor this week if there's some way to buy a little bit more time. <laughs> I, I actually did ask that, and she said that's not how it works. Um, but last week, the annex hall was packed with so many people. The, the food was delicious and beautiful. The gifts were innumerable. By the way, I don't know, I don't think it's fair that baby towels are so much softer than just adult regular towels. I don't understand why, but now we have a lot of them. And we were overcome, though, by the kindness and the generosity of this church. And it reminded me of something Adair said to me a few weeks uh, after we'd started here in 2021. She'd never been Methodist before. She'd never used a hymnal before. And she, but, but we became a part of this community, and she asked me, are all Methodists this kind? Uh, and I think I said something like, yeah, I think so. Uh, if they aren't, they should be. Uh, but this past Wednesday, we experienced so much generosity, and I was filled with this deep gratitude. And I've kind of wondered since then, throughout the rest of this week, how on earth will I ever be able to repay this church for the kindness that they have shown us? And honestly, the best way I know how to repay that is really to just to pay it forward, uh, to share generosity with somebody else. And that's what happened to me this week. I went home after that, and I saw my neighbor cleaning up some construction material in his driveway, uh, and I was in this deeply grateful place, so I immediately asked, hey, do you need any help? And he said, not, not really. And I said, really, I can help. Um, and he said, sure. 
so we spent the next 45 minutes to an hour moving hardy plank siding and railroad ties to the backyard, all because I had this deep gratitude for your generosity and I had to do something with it. Uh, and I think that maybe that's what generosity really is. It's, it's gratitude that needs a place to go. And I'm sure there are many reasons that fuel generosity in the world, obedience, habit, guilt, taxes, <laughs> but I don't think anything fuels it quite like gratitude. And of course, you're not always in a gratitude kind of place, are you? I don't always feel grateful. And sometimes this world makes it difficult to remember the gifts we've been given and the gratitude we have for our lives and everything in them. Sometimes the news and the politics and the state of things in the world leads us to focus more on our outrage and our anger and the negative. Sometimes even our lives make things difficult on us, our health, our bodies, our minds, our circumstances. But I think there's something special that occurs when there is gratitude. And I wonder what this world could look like if we were shaped less by our grievances and more by our gratitude. Pastor John Ortberg said it this way, gratitude is the ability to experience life as a gift. And I wonder what would happen to this planet and all the people on it if that's how we chose to experience life, as a gift. Now the church in Corinth was, was overly focused on grievance over gratitude, and they had issues. Of course, we know church in general was never going to be easy, <laughs> but Corinth was, was special. <laughs> pastor Eugene Peterson writes that the Corinthian Christians gave their founding pastor, Paul, more trouble than all, his, all other churches put together. No sooner did Paul get one problem straightened out in Corinth than three more appeared. I've heard similar sentiments from people I've known who, who own boats. I've heard it said that the two best days in a boat owner's life are the day you buy it and the day you sell it. Wow, you all know people with boats too. <laughs> and in the same way, I'm sure Paul would say that the church in Corinth is a pretty big boat. <laughs> of course, in Paul's first letter to Corinth, we see that the church has some good bones. It's got lots of potential, but it also has some really internal issues. And so Paul's first letter is filled with suggestions and corrections and care and a couple of how-tos, and we know that at some point after that, after he wrote uh, 1 Corinthians, Paul traveled back to Corinth for a follow-up meeting, and the visit didn't go well at all. In fact, Paul later wrote them, I made up my mind not to make you another painful visit. It was painful. It was bad. Some time went by, and they ended up getting word to Paul that they wanted to reconcile, and so Paul wrote this letter in an effort to do just that to move past any anger or disagreement or resentment, to put down their grievances and to find some reconciliation, some forgiveness. And over and over in this letter, Paul is trying to help everyone refocus on their overall purpose, on their calling as followers of Jesus. Paul says to his problem church, from now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view. So if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Everything old is passed away. Everything has become new. He's trying to get them to focus on newness. He's trying to get them to start over. It's like whenever something goes wrong with technology at the house, 
Your first go-to step is to just unplug the thing and plug it back in, see if that works. Anne Lamott says that almost everything will work again if you unplug it for a few minutes, including you. (laughs) And it feels like Paul is trying to unplug this church and plug it back in, and he's attempting to do so by helping this church to focus on the possibilities of the future and not the grievances of the past. And it's about, it's kind of around chapter 8, that Paul stops talking about that stuff, the painful past, the reconciliation, the newness. He gives up on that line of thinking, and he, and he changes tracks. He tries a different tactic. And he writes to him, there's, he tells him, there's this church in Macedonia, and they've fallen on hard times, and it hasn't been easy for them. And yet, somehow, they're different than you guys. There's no division there. There's no outrage for them. There's no grievance or resentment. In fact, the measure of their success is the offering. It's the offering that Paul always takes up for the church and the poor and the needy. The church in Macedonia is actually overwhelmingly generous, even though they have little. Paul says they give according to their means, and they also give beyond their means. For some reason, though there is affliction and poverty, there is wild and abundant joy streaming from them, and that abundant joy is being channeled into generosity. Paul tells the Corinthian church, you've got, I've been harsh on you guys, you've got some bright spots, I promise. You do things pretty well, but you lack generosity. And for Paul, a church that lacks in generosity likely lacks in something a little bit deeper. Paul says, perhaps we'd get over our grievances with one another a little quicker if we took a page from this church in Macedonia, if we took a page from their book, And we focus more on gratitude for what it is Jesus has done for us, for you, and for me. Maybe we should retrace our steps. Maybe we should unplug, hit the reset, and begin where it all started. For you know, Paul says in this letter, the generous act of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Jesus held nothing back from you. His generosity was big. Friends, I think Paul knows that if you focus on the generosity of our Savior, then gratitude has no choice but to kind of well up within you. And at some point, that gratitude is going to need some place to go. There's an old pastor, uh, mentor, who said this, when there is no joy, when there's no gratitude, the heart of the congregation can falter, and it can die. And then it really makes no difference to that congregation whether the banners of Christ are flying around the world today or not because they have no gratitude, because gratitude has been lost. And Paul knows, Paul knows this. He knows the importance of joy and gratitude. Karl Barth said it this way, joy is the simplest form of gratitude. And Paul says to this church, give abundantly because you have received in abundance. Let that same joy that you see in that church in Macedonia, let that stream through you. Let it overflow in you. Put down your grievance with one another and be filled with gratitude for what Jesus has done for you. Only then will generosity surely be made manifest in your life. So start with gratitude. And that's what Wesley talks about when he mentions his last rule. Connor said him earlier, the first, if you weren't here for the first two, Wesley's first rule of money is to gain all you can, which means earn money, but make sure you do it in an ethical way and with care for your, health, 
fellow human being and for yourself. The second is save all you can, which means saving money by cutting out things that are wasteful. It means simplifying our lives so that we are being good stewards of our resources. But the third is give all you can. And he sums it up like this. He has a few sentences in a sermon. This is how they go. Understand that all you possess is a gift from God. Thus, you must, not off, you must offer not just a portion, but your whole self and possessions to God by using them wisely for your own needs, for your family's needs, for the needs of your fellow believers and all of humanity. Do this in a way that allows you to fulfill your responsibilities as a steward, as a, as a caretaker, and show a commitment to God. Give all you can, offer all you have, and all you are as a spiritual offering to the one who graciously gave his only son to you. And he held nothing back. It all begins with gratitude. And friends, knowing what God has given us, what God has done for us, knowing the way that God has loved us can only produce gratitude, in my opinion. And that gratitude is going to need somewhere to go. It's interesting. I don't know that any of you have any idea how many people in this room right now have come to my office or have called me on the phone or stopped me in a hallway and they've said something to the effect of, you've said something to the effect of, I've been blessed by God this week, this month. I'm thankful, I'm grateful, and I'm ready to bless someone else. I've had conversation after conversation that involve people saying something like, I had a good year. Here, I'm grateful. I want to give back. I've had some of you write checks or hand me cash and say, we want to make sure that everybody gets a chance to go on this youth retreat. We don't want money to be an issue for the kids' retreat. We loved it back then. We're grateful for our experience, and we want to make sure people can go and have the same experience. And of course, it's not ever just to do with money. I had somebody in my office last week who said, I'm ready to serve. I've been thinking about it. I'm ready to give my time. I'm ready to find a spot where I can let the gratitude in my heart find a way to give back to God and to this community. Week after week, month after month, people in this room come up to me with deep gratitude, wanting to figure out ways to channel it. Some of the most generous people I've ever met are right in here. They could be sitting next to you. And that kind of generosity, to me, can only be the result of deep and sincere gratitude. Oh, and by the way, not naming them, because none of them want that. You don't want, do it for the recognition. You, do it, you don't do it for the appreciation. You do it because you've become shaped by a gratitude. You've become practitioners in the art of generosity. And you know what? That thing, that kind of thing is contagious. It really is. That generosity that flows from your gratitude has gotten a hold of us, of me and Adair. Over the past couple of years here, Your generosity has filled us with gratitude for who you are. And because we know that our future little guy is going to be surrounded by a family who seeks to help him know Jesus and know what it is that Jesus has done for him and for you and for me. And what is it that Jesus has done? Chris Salter's dad, a Methodist pastor, Wayman Cleveland preached this in 1964. I suppose one of the things I am most grateful for in life is the fact that somehow God reached his hand down into my life 
And he lifted me up from a fallen position and he set my feet upon a rock and he gave me a new song in my heart in order that I might follow him. And friends, for that I am grateful and I hope you are. I pray that such gratitude might take root in me and in you and may that same gratitude grow and shape us and make it impossible for us not to share. May it find its way into our lives and make us generous people who expect nothing in return. Today, I've said it three or four times, it's Commitment Sunday. If you're new or you've been visiting with us and that seems foreign to you, know this, it's, nor- it's the normal calendar year of our church that this happens right about now, that we've invited folks, members, regular attenders to come and share their financial resources, their commitments for the coming year. And I know we all give for many different reasons. I'm sure many of us, we give for, out of obedience, out of habit. I hope you never feel any pressure to do so. But I hope all of you today will reflect on the gifts you have been given, and I hope that you will thank God and be filled with gratitude for the ultimate gift God has given us. What has he given us? Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth. Thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine with 10,000 beside. In a moment, Julie's going to start playing the piano. And I invite you all to come and to kneel and to place your pledge on the altar and to leave it there. If you need a card, we have plenty of those available in the narthex. And I invite you to come and offer your gift. It is an offering to God. So come, whether it's you or, or you and a spouse or you and your whole family, come and kneel and do so out of gratitude for the goodness and grace of God. If you don't want to give a pledge card, that's fine. Come and ask God where he meet, might be calling you to serve in this church. If you haven't finished your pledge yet, you need more time, that's fine. Come still and spend time with God. Kneel. If you filled it out online, come and kneel at the cross. And remember today that we give not because we have to. Our gifts flow from a place of gratitude for what it is that God has done for us. And the size of the gift matters so much less than the reason behind it. And today, I give because of gratitude. It reminds me of what A.A. Milne wrote in one of her Winnie the Pooh stories. Piglet noticed that even though he had a very small heart, it could hold a rather large amount of gratitude. So you're invited to come.